All right. Welcome back. The Buffalo Bread Podcast season three premiere. Um, I feel like an apology is in order, my friend. Uh, Dan, we we left our our lovely fans, you know, all seven of our lovely fans hanging uh, at the end of the, of the season. We got ground down much like our beloved Buffalo Bills um, by the tiles, you know, tired trials of a long season. And um, we sort of dropped off after after the draft, after our draft previews. Um, uh, so we have a lot to cover here today. Uh, and the, how are you, my friend? I am ecstatic to be dipping a toe back into the familiar and calm waters of this podcast where nothing but positivity and preseason will reign in our takes about the bills we will we will wait for the inevitability of the season yes <laughs> no and, I, and <laughs> you say inevitability which has never been a you know real optimist's word of use <laughs> we, we are bills fans right the only difference between now now and then is that we actually feel like we have a chance to win. That's but in all seriousness, I do think we have a good chance to win this year. I'm excited for the team, flaws and all, and we'll talk a lot about the flaws because that this is just what we do on this podcast. We do not sugarcoat. We do not blow sunshine up your butt. We will tell you exactly where the bills are and aren't strong, where their vulnerabilities are, where their strengths are going to be. Just to give you, all of our loyal listeners, the opportunity to uh, break down the information as needed. Bills fans were rated the smartest football fan base right. in a recent poll on Fox Sports. And uh, we are here to prove that true with our savvy yet funny takes on the Bills. So I'm ecstatic to get into it, man. I'm excited to be back. And uh, I think you you kind of lined it up. That That is our show for the day. We're going to talk about um, the different Bills moves and confirmation bias is a segment we'll, we'll start with. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the major changes to the coaching staff, specifically Coach McDermott calling the defensive plays and choosing to go the way of three of the four coordinators that were left in the uh, final four teams vying for the Super Bowl, which is a head coach who calls one side of the ball themselves. Um, so he's he's trying to to throw his hat into the ring of being one of those coaches, too, because maybe that's it. We haven't been able to get there for so many other reasons. Maybe that's the difference. And then finally, we're going to kind of close out with um our reasons that the bills will or will not win the super bowl each of us will give a, a reason or two of, of why they we think they will and then we'll each give a couple of reasons why we they will not. does that sound good i'm in love with it i'm in love with this idea let's I'm jump in with it. <laughs> i'm in love I'm with in the love idea with of love this is great <laughs> i love i love the idea of love right no i'm stoked about this let's get right into it man all right, so segment one, confirmation bias. This is basically where we're going to talk about three topics that we discussed in the post-mortem ending last season about big hanging questions about this Buffalo Bills team. So since then, we have now gone through the draft. We've now gone through a full, uh, full season of free agency. The Bills roster is really solidifying and coming together, and there's a few position battles that are still happening that we're going to uh, take this as an opportunity to discuss as well. So why don't we start with the offense and a piece of the offense that I think is a little bit underrated with the arrival of Dalton Kincaid, who we will talk about in a little bit, but that's slot. So slot wide receiver has been an exceptionally important role for this team, really ever since the ascendance of Josh Allen. Um, Cole Beasley has been a topic on this pod. He's been at the forefront of a lot of Bills fans' mind, especially last season as the Buffalo Bills weren't able to exploit the middle of the field in the ways that they had before. They no longer had that guy that could find soft spots in the zone that could get seven yards on a third and six for Allen. I think Allen's elbow injury has something to do with that too. 
So we ended last season, not knowing that Kincaid would ultimately be the pick talking about, um, Khalil Shakir and did he do enough in his limited reps and his boomer bust type of reps that he had last season to convince us and the bills coaching staff that he should deserve an unchallenged shot at that slot wide receiver spot. Now you and I were pretty high on him at the end of last year. Um, we wanted to see more of him in last season. We felt like he could have been a difference maker in some of these games. He was the, I think the leading wide receiver in their game against the Bengals off of just like two catches. So his yards per catch were huge. He had showed that yak ability, but he showed a tendency for drops. So you and I, JJ vacillated back and forth between do they bring in someone to challenge him for the slot role, or do they crown him? And maybe bring in, some, bring in some veterans that can push, but not overshadow him. And we compared it a lot to the development of Gabe Davis, where when it looked like he was ready to emerge, the Bills signed Emmanuel Sanders, who took direct snaps away from Gabe, Gabe Davis early in his development. And you could argue as a Bills fan that maybe the career arc or maybe the development arc for Gabe Davis would have been different had he had that full season under his belt. Maybe two seasons ago could have been the season we saw last year, which was an inconsistent Gabe Davis that still had drop problems and still didn't run great routes. Flash forward to now, we're asking the same questions about Khalil Shakir, and it seems like the Bills are sticking to their tendencies. Um, and again, Shakir, unlike Davis, to be clear, fifth round pick, mm -hmm. like projected in the second and third round in the year he was drafted. But there's nothing written that says you can't challenge a fifth round pick in camp. So they've brought in a bunch of guys via the draft and via free agency that have challenged. And it looks like Shakir, similar to Davis, hasn't shown the progression that the Bills coaches want to see. So, JJ, let me ask you, Khalil Shakir, is he our go-to slot receiver this season? Or would you take the field in that regard? Um, I'm going to take the field, and I think it's for two reasons. One is free agency additions. I think that Trent Shurfield is going to force himself onto the field a little bit, and um, I think Deontay Hardy is also going to force his way into the, into the mix. Um, and, and I guess three reasons. The third reason, I believe that this team is going to use 12 personnel like 20% of the time. I think they're going to come out in 12 personnel way more than anybody is expecting because they're one of the lowest usage teams last year. And with Dalton Kincaid and Dawson Knox, Dawson Knox on a reasonably large tight end contract and Dalton Kincaid, I think it was uh, Joe Biscaglia of the Athletic mentioned that Dalton Kincaid is the first Bills rookie he's seen in training camp who looks like a day one starter as much as Tredavious White did in 2017. That, and that's it. Like, that's it. Josh Allen didn't, you know, Tremaine Edmonds didn't, um, Ed Oliver didn't. So, like, none of these other players that have come through the doors as first-round picks, Greg Rousseau didn't, have looked as much like a day-one locked-in starting caliber player as Dalton Kincaid in terms of consistency, in terms of mastery of the offense, in terms of competing against top competition at practice. So for those three reasons, I do not think that Khalil Shakur is ready to step out as the premier slot receiver for this. I think it's going to be Diggs and Davis on the outside. And then I think you're going to see kind of a rotation of 12 personnel and then probably Shakir, Hardy, and Sherfield at times uh, in the slot. And then even sometimes they may be bumping Hardy outside for the speed, the fly route. And I think then you see Sherfield or Davis in the slot. So I think that the, 
the slot position is not going to be the automatic kind of Cole Beasley position it had had been in the past in this offense because of the variability they now have. And I'm excited for that. I think that's going to be a wonderful wrinkle for the offense um, that they could do all these things. And then, you know, if I might, if I may go to a fourth reason, James freaking Cooks, James Cook in the slot because he's been lining up at different receiver sets throughout the preseason and practices. So I I think he's going to get some play there too. And I just think it's too many, there's too many people, too many mouths to feed for us to like be able to stamp Khalil Shakur at the end of the season as the premier slot for the team. I agree. And the slot position has evolved so much over the past few years. You see a lot more uh, wide receiver ones lining up in the slot. You see a lot more, you know, like Miami is a great example in Kansas City, the way they used to use Tyreek Hill, where you line up on the outside, you put him in pre-snap motion. And before you know it, he's got a free release through, um, up the slot and through the seam. I mean, there, there's just so much. And I love the way you put it. The Bills are so have the ability to be way more multiple now given the free agent additions they have. And I think Kincaid is going to be a big piece of this too. And I think they value, they value sure handedness. I think with the level of drops that this team experienced last year, and even Stefan Diggs was not immune to that. I think they're really trying to prioritize, um, ball security and making sure that they're putting out the, the best pass catchers, regardless of position that are going to haul in a Josh Allen ball, which Listen, we love Josh Allen, but I think you could argue he maybe doesn't throw the most catchable ball, especially towards the end of the season last year where he was really injured. So you just you just need guys that know how to catch him. We talked about this with Isaiah McKenzie all the time. The way McKenzie liked to get the ball versus the way Beasley liked to get the ball. McKenzie was just not a dude who could catch a Josh Allen ball. But I think Sherfield for sure is that guy. And he also brings value added in the run game as well. You can line him up in the slot and his run blocking ability as a wide receiver is as good, if not better than Gabe Davis. You've got Davis on the outside. You've got Sherfield in the slot. You just send that dude right up the middle to clear space, like a pile driver heading up to the second level. And you're going to get a lot. You're going to get a lot of sneaky, good runs when you're running out three wide receiver personnel. Um, and your points on, on Kincaid are well taken. I want to save mine, though, until we get to, to number two here, which is talking about exploitation in the middle of the field. Sure. But I, I agree. I think in summary, this is a team that's way more multiple. And I don't think they are counting how many wide receivers, how many tight ends they're going to have out there. I think they're counting how many guys are pass catchers that we're going to run out there each and every play, be it tight end, be it wide receiver, be it their running back core. I think they're going to find ways, create very creatively to get the ball into the hands of a variety of different wide receivers, which we know that when Allen gets to play point guard and he's completing passes to eight, nine, 10, 11 different pass catchers a game, that's usually a recipe for a Buffalo's Bills win. So I think that's how they're going to approach it. And as a result, I'm not saying they're they're fading out a traditional slot role. I just think there's less of a dedicated role for Shakir because he looks like the biggest boomer bust out of those guys. Mm-hmm. Like there's one play where he'll drop a supremely catchable ball for an easy 10 yard game and then make the most insane catch you've ever seen for a 35 yard game over the top. Like he is, he is the epitome of a very raw product right now. And I don't think his pass catching has developed to the point where the bills want to trust him with a, with a, a complete full-time role and a majority of the snap share. When I remember when he came out during the draft, I was like, gushing about how he was like one of the 
best picks they could have had that late in the in the you a know steal a steal that late because well because you like you said you boom or bust you can see it like the the one um, catch he had that was like twenty yards or something in the preseason game was just obscene it was he had no business it was way too high he had no business with that size of a frame getting up there getting that ball but he did and he's shown that before making insanely difficult catches but he also duffed an easy one that was perfectly on his hands that would have converted a third and five from Kyle Allen so like yeah that and that for me that's why the team is not going to have that traditional you know 80 ball um, 80 target 50 catch slot that they that they had in the Beasley prompt. And I, I would argue that they probably don't need it because it defenses have played this Buffalo Bills offense pretty much the same for the last two seasons. It's incumbent on the Bills to, and really on Ken Dorsey, who is probably feeling a lot of pressure at this point, but it's incumbent on them to roll out something different. And in fairness, I think last season they wanted to. That that's why we saw the signing of OJ Howard. And they just realized that Howard was not going to be a scheme fit for them. But I think they they knew they needed to run more 12 personnel. They needed to run more multiple looks. They needed to keep teams guessing. And when Allen got injured and his short area accuracy was affected as a result of it, uh, I think teams could really play to the only thing. Uh, it didn't have to worry about sh- the short area of the field and could really just lock down the boundaries, which is the only place that the Bills could really go to Davis and Diggs on the outside. It, the combination of the injury, the limitations, I think, of that wide receiver room. Uh, and I, I would also throw in there, I thought I thought Dorsey was a good offensive coordinator, but he was a first-year play caller. Yeah, right. So I think all of those things combined, I think teams figured out this offense. And I think this season, the Bills are looking to do something, I think, that's new and fresh and I know a lot of Bills Mafia are hitting the panic button on the offense this year because the way it ended last year, but I think this offense is going to be um, a superior version to what we saw last year, particularly towards the end of the season, so long as Allen can stay healthy and the offensive line can stay right. Well, and, and what we saw last year, it's I mean, I know that it everyone's like, oh, the offense faded in the latter half of the year. That's fine. It did, but they were still winning games. The team still went 13-3 and in the regular season. They still... Um, were a top three unit in terms of yards and scoring. Like they just, they they made it work. You know, like I, I think everyone just expected every every week. This is the problem, right? This is what we talk about all the time. Like the Bills became a good team, top of the NFL. You know, in terms of being competitive for a championship every year, and everyone's like, well, every t- every game should be a forty to ten blowout. It's like that's not real life. Like. The Chiefs right. like come come through with squeakers, and they've got two Super Bowls in the last three years, right? Like they they barely squeeze out some games against inferior opponents here and there too. Like it's just unrealistic. The team still, as an aggregate on offense, was at one of the top performers in the league, and that's with the second most turnovers and the most or third most drops. Like that's you know that that to me is like okay if you clean up the turnovers and clean up the drops, we probably are hanging 40 on most teams. Like, it's just, probably, you know, yeah. that's the thing is like this, this team was its own worst enemy. I don't think there was anything wrong with the play calling or the offense last year. I think their execution was, was not great. And I think that the team was emotionally exhausted by the end of the year through everything they went through, having multiple, you know, games moved, postponed, you know, DeMar Hamlin, top shooting, like this, this team was what, and it could, you could tell it. 
and I actually, I don't know anything about this. I have no idea. I'm not inside, but I just feel like maybe Stefan Diggs' whole frustration in, you know, OTAs was around Josh Allen not being focused enough on football and his play waning. And I think they might have cleaned that up and hopefully he's back. You know, he just bought a house near Haley Steinfeld in LA. Like it, maybe things are okay now for Josh Allen. We'll see. Welcome to the E News portion of this podcast, right? There you go. That's a clickbait. That's a clickbait that got me. That got me. That I was is like, oh, Josh Allen buys buys house near Hanley Steinfeld. His girlfriend, <laughs> like, oh well, let me check that house out. It's beautiful as you expect. That's it. Of course it is. Of course it is. He he's worth a quarter of a billion dollars. Mm-hmm. So yeah, <laughs> I'm sure it's a lovely home. A lovely a, home. Yeah, it's a it's a quaint it's a quaint family home. No perks. <laughs> a quaint mansion out in yes. L.A. But good for that guy. So we we are both in agreement that at the end of last season, we kind of went back and forth, but wanted to see Shakir get a, get a shot. But we're both in agreement that the way the bills are going, the multiple looks, maybe less dedicated snaps to the slot. That's probably a good thing. So, yes. So, yeah. And Shakir just needs to step it up and he'll have, thankfully, the rest of the preseason and all season to do so. Um, all right. So item number two, middle of the field. So as we documented on several podcasts last year and again lamented in the postmortem for this this Buffalo Bills team, the ability of the Buffalo Bills to challenge the middle of the field waned throughout the course of the season to the point where even pre-injury, Allen was really limiting a lot of his looks to the boundaries only, seeding the middle of the field to pretty much every defense that they would play. Um, and when you face a lot of a lot of too high, which the Bills were facing last season, pushing towards the boundaries constantly was the is the highest degree of difficulty that you can do to beat that offense because you basically need to drop that drop that pass perfectly over the defending cornerback and before the safety rushing to the boundary gets there so the bills were choosing the hardest possible way to beat that type of coverage and not taking the easy stuff in the middle of the field and then later on in the season when um after Allen was injured his accuracy suffered and i think it just it just doubled down and compounded the problem they had with limiting themselves to the boundaries and the deep ball so we said that the bills needed to be more dynamic and needed to attack every level of the field in every direction enter dalton kincaid who you have already uh already very very positively introduced on this podcast the bills uh number one round draft pick he has drawn comparisons pretty openly in the pre-draft process and during camp to one Travis Kelsey, which probably makes Bills fans very excited because for years we've been looking for our Kelsey to match with our Mahomes, and we think we may have found it with Kincaid. Now, you mentioned the preseason game. He didn't have a target, didn't have a catch, played the first series with first uh, series with the starters, and then was out of there which tells me that the Bills plan on using him in a pretty significant role this year because rookies don't often get that treatment on this team. He's got a great rapport with Allen already. He is finding those soft spots in the middle of the zone like Cole Beasley did, but he's, he's in a, um, he is an exponentially larger target and solid pass catcher. I don't think this guy's dropped a ball yet in camp. So, um, so he's everything the bills needed. And then some from a reliabilities, uh, zone eating route running standpoint, uh, JJ will Dalton Kincaid successfully give the Buffalo bills offense, the middle of the field back. Unequivocally. Yes. If everybody stays healthy, Dalton Kincaid is going to solve this problem. And 
uh, hot take here first, you know, uh, get, get the little, you know, black notebook, you keep all your bets in. I I'm, I'm, I'm placing a small wager on Dalton Kincaid being offensive rookie of the year. Oh, I knew that was coming. Yes. Oh my God. I think that's, that's what we're talking about. And, and it's mostly because of the buzz of how, I mean, not only has he been reliable in practice as like a consistent player, understanding the offense, you know, based on people's observations, we don't know what play is called, but he seems to be in the place he's supposed to be whenever he's supposed to be there. And then he catches everything you throw to him. I think, you know, reading all the reports from, trusted sources on practice i think through the entire course of training camp at st john fisher he had like three drops or you know something like that 70 balls that went his way like it was insane yeah i mean i think he dropped his first pass of training camp after not having dropped a single one in college and then didn't look back for the rest of camp yeah it was insane so yeah that's i think he gives back the center of the field i think that the rapport he's building with josh allen is invaluable and i think that he I believe that Ken Dorsey understands that Dalton Kincaid is never going to be a clean out blocker of a defensive end. He should understand that after seeing, you know, his college team. And so as long as they're using him in the proper ways and not expecting him to hold the edge against, you know, um, Jadavian Clowney or if he's even still in the league, um, give me a good defensive end. Nick Bosa, right? Like, yeah, right. Not expecting the whole, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack, yeah. Like, not expecting him to hold the edge against a premier pass rusher or shut down defensive end. Um, as long as you're not expecting him to do that, he's going to do everything you're expecting him to do, which is get to an open space. He has a long history in basketball, so he's got that, like, savvy um, of understanding the middle of the field and knowing kind of where people are, how to box them out. It's kind of that third uh, third eye situation that the best TEs, the the like Hall of Famers had where they just know where they need to be. Travis Kelsey has it. You see it all the time against the Bills. He can has a, you know, preternatural sense of where people are in space and where he needs to be. And I think Dalton Kincaid has it. I'm very excited. I don't think he's a Travis Kelsey. I think he's got a long way to go, but I think he's going to have a, a very impactful part in this offense enough so much that he's going to get national notice. Yeah, I agree. Um Offensive Rookie of the Year, God, it might be a stretch, but it's also not something I necessarily want to challenge you on either, because um, this is like off. This is like preseason, so like optimism runs oh, high. Yeah. But this dude also looks like the real deal thus far. Now we haven't seen him do it in a real game with pads on yet, but tape, camp, and practice would tell you that he's fluid in zone. He is quick to plant and go with the point of catch. And he brings the Bills something that I think you and I have been saying for years they need, which is yak. Yeah. He brings the yak game in a big way. I mean, there's been there's been a couple of camp reps he's had where he's taken a 10-yard 10 10-yard 10 curl route and then boom, after the point of catch planted and gone right up the seam. I think he gives the Bills a lot of versatility in the middle of the field. And he's a guy that if you're an opposing defense, you just you have to pay attention to him. There's going to be a lot of linebackers that are going to really struggle covering him, which means you got to drop down potentially a safety to lock him down, which takes away the too high ability that a lot of defenses have played against the Bills for the past two years. He just answers a lot of questions. Now, this is also a lot of pressure to put on a rookie. 
And there are other playmakers and pass catchers on this offense. But when push comes to shove and it's third and seven, and you got to get seven and seven and one eighth of a yard, Dalton Kincaid gives them some reliability potentially that they haven't had at a very long time in the middle of the field. And if you can make opposing defenses guard every level and every direction of the field, like the old Bills offense used to be, I think you're talking a good season for the Buffalo Bills. And I think Kincaid has the ability. Again, this feels like a lot of pressure to put on a rook, but I think he's got the ability to do that. And I agree with you right away. I don't know if it'll be rookie of the year right away, but I think we're going to see him come up in some really key moments and a lot of games moving forward. Um, I also salivate at the red zone options the Buffalo yeah, Bills yeah. now have, yeah. right? I mean, because that's the other thing. And I, 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 know, I know red zone statistics are volatile from year to year. And unless you're the Tennessee Titans and you have Derrick Henry, few teams are consistently good in the red zone year after year after year. Um, the red zone options, like I'm just going through my head, Knox, Kincaid, Sherfield, Justin Shorter, the big, tall, fast rookie that they just got. Not great uncontested catches, but he's a dude that's a, a pr pretty sure at the point of catch, if not contested. Of course, you have Diggs, you have Davis, you have the emergence of James Cook. We all hope it's going to be James Cook season this year. So if you've, and then you've got the break glass in case of emergency, Josh Allen run around the edge. You not, just have a, not to mention one Mr. Latavius Murray who grew up oh, in Syracuse. Damian Harris. Yeah, yeah. Damian Harris. Um, love the Latavius Murray story. Grew up in Syracuse as a Bills fan and yeah. has had a long career in the NFL. Is like 240 pounds and like six foot two is like this amazing specimen of running back who is excellent in short yardage, just like Damian Harris is. Damian Harris, I think 90, 80% or 90% of his NFL touchdowns his entire career within five yards of the goal line. Like, yeah. That dude just power, I, powers it in. He knows how to do it. Absolutely. So if it's third and seven or if it's second and two, the Buffalo Bills have so many tools in their toolkit that is just is not no longer Josh Allen doing something amazing and alien-like. They've got so many reliable options that they can go to. It, 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 and, and Kincaid is the piece I feel like that unlocks a lot of it because of his ability to exploit the middle of the field. So yeah, it's, it's just, it's really exciting to think about. Now we've got to see it happen on yes. the field, Yeah. but as we sit here in our theoretical posture before the season, it, it feels like this offense could be something very, very dynamic this year. Well, and the thing I hope for, and there's nothing you can tell from preseason because they're not going to show their cards really. And there's nothing they're going to show in training camp in front of the public, right? Like, but it feels like they're putting in the, the pieces with James Cook with um, Dalton Kincaid and then with the talent that they know they have on the outside with the outside receivers outside the numbers to layer the middle of the field because I mm -hmm. think that was also part of the problem is you oh, have yeah. to have attention to Diggs and Davis on the outside and that kept the safeties honest but that left the linebackers and corners like nickel and the linebackers to just roam and lock down whoever you threw it threw at them in the middle and Dawson Knox wasn't doing enough or garnering enough attention to keep keep those players honest they were able to kind of bracket where they needed to so having multiple targets and and the important thing is going to also be josh allen willing to take the easy conversion pass to like the center of the field to just like latavius murray goes sits in an empty spot that somebody's vacated as the slot has streaked or as Dalton kate has cleared out and uh or james cook you know with the little dump off yards after the catch like 
we really hope for that because, like, I mean, every quarterback in the league that's successful does that stuff. They don't just ignore the running back standing there waving his hands and wait for Diggs to come open on an 80-yard bomb. Right. Mike White is still getting contracts off that first Bengals game he had where he threw for 432 yards, only 110 of which were actually thrown yards. Everything yards, else yeah. was yak. Yeah. If I'm Josh, if if I am in the the orbit of Josh Allen, which I am not, but if I am in his orbit, if I'm Haley Steinfeld, I'm like, you know, Josh, Josh, yards they run for after they catch it yes. still count as your yards. Yes, Josh. you don't need yeah, to you throw don't for need them to all. Throw them all, right? Yeah. Right. And There's I no think asterisks the, in the Hall of Fame about that. Yeah, it all it all counts the same, man. It all counts the same. So 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 let that yak work for you. Take the seven take the seven yard check down. And freaking let Kincaid take it for another 20, man. It all all counts in the stat line at the end of the day. Absolutely. All right. So we've talked highly highly about this offense and how multiple they can be. But as everyone who watched last season, and you could argue the season before, pretty much knows, is that the Buffalo Bills offensive line needs to be the piece that coalesces and solidifies for a lot of this stuff to happen. Kincaid can't get the ball if Allen's on his back and doesn't have time to throw. Cook can't do the things that we think he can do unless his offensive line is opening up holes. So at the end of last season, that offensive line, which you you and I had been railing all year, didn't show up in that Cincinnati game. And what's more is they got pushed around pretty significantly and looked like, quite frankly, the weaker unit. I'm not trying to make this about like a strong man, weak man thing, but the reality is, is they were out physical in that game. Um... Bring in some great additions, David Edwards, Connor McGovern, and Osiris Torrance. Big interior, a focus on the interior offensive line. Um, Guys that really don't have a lot of multiple position value, which is something the Bills have coveted, which honestly I was excited about because bring in some interior O-line specialists that know how to keep Josh Allen clean up the middle and I'm fine. I really don't give a crap if they got versatility at tackle at this point. We've got Ryan Bates for that. So this offensive line right now seems to be coalescing around Spencer Brown, which I'm not a huge fan of him going unchallenged. Um, but it looks like that the Bills have done everything that they they can do to set this guy up for success. We'll see if he's successful. Ryan Rick Bates and Osiris Torrance battling for that right guard position. Mitch Morse anchoring down the middle uh connor mcgovern on the left and then Deion dawkins with david edwards potentially playing some uh interior line backup role and then you still have ike ike botker i think still on the roster as well so depth at the interior uh, we're a little bit weak in the tackle i think uh we still have questionberry yeah Quest- much to Quest- the chagrin of <laughs> oh my god Questenberry, much he to looks- the chagrin of bill's mafia yeah, he looks terrible too like i guess he's he, he very looks very bad. bad he looks like he he, he looks he looks like stuff. he's toast schnell just retired right the the signing from miami yep so we're going in with the bills being stronger on the interior but really weak from a, a depth standpoint at the tackle position Dawkins, you could argue is coming off maybe his worst season in a very long time. Spencer Brown's issues have been well-documented where he started strong in his rookie campaign faded towards the end of his first season. Last season was dealing with a back issue. Never really came on. Bills haven't brought in anyone to challenge them. There are rumbles that Dawkins might be finishing his career as a guard. 
how are we feeling about the yeah. offensive line right now? It mm-hmm. was not great at the end of the season. Yeah. They have done what they do, which is throw a bunch of money at some veterans to come in and play. Yeah. How do we feel about this offensive line right now? Long sigh is how I feel. Um, it's It's tough because, okay, I'll say this. I feel like the signings of Connor McGovern and the signing of um, David Shell was it Shell Shell David Edwards Brandon Shell and David Edwards Bra- yeah. Brandon Shell yeah yeah Brandon Shell David Edwards I think that McGovern Shell and Edwards I think those were good moves there was no way they could anticipate that Shell who had started eight games last year and said you know at least seven or eight games for the past three years. At tackle, there was no way they would know he's planning to retire. That's kind of breaking right now. I guess he's he's hanging it up. He skipped practice today and is going to retire. So um, they didn't know that was going to happen. But I think it was a it was a failure on their part not to bring anybody at all in to compete with Spencer Brown. Not anybody. They have Ryan Vandermark who was on their practice squad last year, uh, and Richard Garage, and so who was an uns- unsigned. Um, uh, or undrafted, uh, undrafted free agent, free rookie, agent. rookie free agent. So their their offensive tackle, then Tommy Doyle, who played guard when he played it all last year and is coming off yeah. of an ACL injury. Like that, it just seems like, like you said, they did what they always do. The only difference I'll say is that instead of signing a, a you know a hung it up two years ago uh, veteran who's in their mid to late thirties. They did like get Roger Con- Saffold. Yeah, like Roger Saffold. I wasn't going to name him, but yeah, Saffold sucked last year. He was terrible. He was terrible. Um, Zero sacks. They did. Oh my gosh. Zero sacks because Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse were like literally killing themselves to bail you out every snap. Every um, freaking play. So I'm hoping that they, that they changed it slightly. And by changed it, they drafted Osiris Torrance with a top three pick. And they signed Connor McGovern, who's only 25 or 26. Those are injection some youth. Yeah, yeah, those are some things that they did that I do think are show a different approach from Brandon Bean. And they had to lay out some money for Connor McGovern. They had to lay out some money for Ryan Bates last offseason. Um, and I do think that Bates is like a solid, he's a solid guard. I think he's better at left guard than right guard, but he's a decent center. And I think they're very mindful of Mitch Morse getting older and had his concussion issues and needing to have a reliable pivot um in the in kind of in reserve and so i do like some of the things they did i think that they should have done more in terms of finding some tackle depth and i really hope you know next year next year in the draft my number one choice is a tackle of either side uh in the first round but they're probably going to pick a corner or defensive middle linebacker depending on how the season goes yeah right? right 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 So, yeah, I think yeah, I'll say this about my final thought on the offensive line. I think that it has the pieces to be better this year than the entire entirety of last year. But that actually hinges on basically just how Spencer Brown and Deion Dawkins are. Absolutely. Um, I think I trust Connor McGovern in the inside. He's a better pass blocker than a run blocker, but I think that's good. I'm not too worried about him pulling and stuff like that. Um, I think that, you know, David Edwards is a starter on many NFL teams and having him as a reserve interior player is is excellent. I think that uh, like Butker is probably going away. 
um, because of just the reports of how poorly he's, he's looked in practice and how bad he looked in the game. You look terrible. Yeah. yeah. And so, and I actually kind of liked, uh, Ryan Vandermark had some really, really, really bad snaps in the game. Um, when he was in at right tackle, but when he, he was in at left tackle, which he played in college, um, and he hadn't played left tackle, or I'm sorry, yeah, he hadn't played right tackle since like 2017 until that Colts game, and he looked really bad. And there's a lot of muscle memory and technique that is that changes what that feels like on left or right. And so I'm, I wonder if he becomes the primary backup to Deion Dawkins because he did look way more comfortable and he held his own left tackle. It could very well be. I mean, they need something. I, I this is where I. I think in my heart of hearts, this thing is heading. You will, you, you equaled a contract now two off seasons ago to keep Bates in Buffalo. That contract is not elite starter money. That is a contract with a guy of Bates's versatility. Cause you mentioned he can play center. He can also play tackle. He is like the, the last living vestige of the old Buffalo bills, offensive line right. philosophy. Where everybody can do freaking everything. Everyone can play everything. Yeah. I he's got, think he's got like a nine point six RS score too. He's an elite athlete. Yeah. At his size well, and position. Exactly. Right. I mean, this is the stuff that they the stuff that they coveted, right? For a, a long time ago. Um <laughs> a long time, two, three years ago. Yes. Um, but enter Aaron Cromer, right? And uh the limitations of the roster and who's been available in the draft and what the needs of this team have been. And I think what we're looking at is a scenario where Osiris Torrance is your starting right guard next to Spencer Brown. And your answer for tackle depth is Ryan Bates. I mean, it's a, it's a dangerous game. Cause like you said, if Morse goes down, Bates is your center and then you're back to no tackle depth. You're back to Questenberry. Right. So it, I think if the bills, I think where this might be heading and, you know, Torrance got the start against the Colts. And you, you can read into that if you want to first preseason game, what have you, but he, he didn't make a mistake. Like he was pretty, he was pretty, it was a pretty mundane performance. And by mundane, I mean that in a good way. And that there was no holding call. There was no false start. No one penetrated his, his area of blocking to get to the quarterback. Like it was a solid rookie starting performance. I think if you're the Bills, the only reason it makes sense to not challenge Spencer Brown at, um, at the tackle role is because you think uh, Bates is your depth at that role. Um, and they've made every excuse in the book for Brown. The injuries, he hasn't had a normal offseason, all that kind of, And all, all those th things in fairness are true. It's just interesting when you look at the excuses they're making for Brown, who is a third round pick. Versus the, they seem to be, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, their first round defensive pick a couple of years ago in Kyer Elam, they're looking for every excuse not to give that guy the job. I just can't figure out what the Bills value as far as talent and build of the team goes. Because anyone, anyone outside looking at would be like Spencer Brown, like at the very least needs to be challenged, mm -hmm. challenged by a competent veteran. The Bills did not go that route. So, and now they're lacking depth on the ends. So you're relying on a Deion Dawkins bounce back and you're relying on a baseline performance from Spencer Brown that you've never seen before at two really key positions. It, it's a risky proposition. 
I'm glad they fortified the interior of that offensive line for the long term, but tackles at both ends to me are a really big question. I think we're taking for granted that Dawkins is going to bounce back as well. So everything is looking up for this offense, except for this offensive line, in my opinion. Here's a uh, here's a crazy take. Uh, what do you think of the Buffalo Bills trading? I don't know, uh, Boogie Basham for Kelvin Beecham from Arizona at right tackle. Oh, we're gonna go to the Arizona pool again. Yeah, they, they already took one unwanted draft That's pick off our hands. Exactly. Yeah. Will will we do it again? We could I mean, do it again because because well, the reason I say this is he's like a veteran. He's dependable. He's not flashy. He's not. He's kind of he'd be probably better than Roger Saffold in the same vein as a Roger Saffold, right? Like a former All Pro level tackle who is at the end of his career, was drafted in 2012, so it's been been a minute, um, you know, and, and the Arizona Cardinals aren't going anywhere this season, so. I, I think generally, and I'm sure this is going to be a topic leading up to the trade deadline, I think generally any trade for Basham happens after they know what the projected return date of von miller is yeah i think i th- I think early on they need the depth because right now and this is maybe a great segue to talk about the defense yes i think it um is. i think right now out of rousseau and floyd who who seem to have the edges locked in epineza has not looked great basham had a sack but we know what boogie's track record is with with playing consistently um, and I think he got in like the second quarter against the Colts second Colts second teamer. Yeah. So take that with a big grain of salt. I just think this is a team that is lacking depth at the pass rush right now until Miller gets back. I think Floyd is a great addition and immediately the best pass rusher on the team. And if Rousseau does what he says he's going to do, which is notch double digit sacks this season, then I think you've got potentially a very scary trio of pass rushers and Floyd, um, Floyd, Rousseau, and Miller that you can bring to the table. And in that scenario, yeah, Basham or Epineza are absolutely expendable. But I think until we know what's going on with with Miller, it might be a little too early to speculate on Boogie Basham trade because he also brings value added at special teams too. Like unlike Epineza, Boogie can play a little bit of special teams if they need him to. So, That's true. So yeah, so I, I like the hypothesis, but uh, I, I, think, I think we're probably a little ways away from that. Um, <laughs> Breaking news, Dan is wrong in the Buffalo Bills trade. Boogie Basham for... <laughs> Basham, yeah. For <laughs> Kelvin Beecham. JJ For Kelvin Beecham. Hey, JJ. Yeah. No, if that happens, like, if we go to bed and in the morning that, that we get that bulletin, I will send you a bottle of bourbon. Awesome. <laughs> I think I yeah. still owe you, like, two or four bottles of bourbon. And you owe me a wood chopping sword, sir. I do. That oh, <laughs> you yeah. owe me a wood chopping yes. sword. Yeah. <laughs> which we will, we will talk about at a later yes. date offline. Yes. All right. So... That's a great segue, though, into the next piece that we want to get to here. So, Sean McDermott taking over for Leslie Frazier, um, doing the defensive play calling, has built an interesting defensive coaching staff around him as well. So, elevated Eric Washington to, I think, assistant head coach. Um, but there's some interesting minds on this defensive uh, on this defensive group. You've got Bobby Badgett's Babbage, the linebacker coach, who is largely regarded as like the next up and coming young defensive mind, maybe too young to be a full time play caller at this point, however. 
Al Holcomb, who many people thought would be a DC candidate or, and some rumblings that he would even be a head coaching candidate, um, after his time in Carolina, senior defensive assistant. Um, and then of course you've got some of the retreads like Eric Washington, who is assistant head coach and still coaching the, the underachieving defensive line. So a lot of interesting minds on this group. And then we know what the play calling chops of Sean McDermott are. So JJ, people have been piecing through training camp footage, media articles, the first preseason game to figure out what McD's defense is going to look like. And I still think, like you said, in preseason, no one's showing anybody anything, but there's some interesting points of contention via the competitions that are happening on this defense that I think are worth unpacking. And I think the place I want to start is um, cornerback two. So our second, our second DB opposite of uh, Trey White on the outside looks to be a pretty unabashedly open competition. You've got Dane Jackson, who is the new Levi Wallace that this team just simply <laughs> cannot get rid of. Uh, right. Yeah. And <laughs> it's just, but this is the type of guy who late round draft pick, right? I think was, we keep, we always mess this up. We say six, we say seventh, we say undrafted. He was a six round draft pick. He was. Can we, Yes. Can we solidify this, please? Yes. Yeah. So he was a six-round draft pick, and he's exactly the guy that this Buffalo Bills coaching staff prides themselves on being able to identify, draft, develop into right. what they consider to be starter quality talent. And there's no denying that when White went down, Jackson was maybe playing a little bit, a little bit out in front of his skis with some of the assignments he got, but he held things down until White got back. But this is a dude who we know what his physical limitations are. We know what his limitations and coverage are, and yet the Bills seem to want to give this guy the starting job every year. You've got Christian Benford, who injured at the end, injured at the early start parts of last season, I think in week four, um, in the mold of a Dane Jackson, slightly more athletic, large wingspan, great in zone coverage, late round draft pick, desperate to give this guy reps. He actually challenged Elam for starting reps at the beginning of last season because the Bills were still out on Elam. And then you've got the third competitor in this, Kyrie Elam, your first round draft pick, the guy who you traded up to get after, by all accounts, you wanted Trent McDuffie and the Chiefs traded up and swept him away from you, right? So you panic and you take Elam, who is an athletic specimen. He, pl he, really, has, he really had a similar draft profile to Trey White coming out of college. Trey White was billed as pretty much an aggressive, physical man cover corner who then, as a result of his technique, developed into a tactician in zone coverage for the Buffalo Bills. Um, Elam, they were hoping, would take, the similar take a similar trajectory. But again, unlike Spencer Brown, who was getting all the opportunities one could ask for to start, despite tape that tells you this guy can't do it, Elam, who at the end of last season put some really impressive um, mm -hmm. film out there, is in a competition with two late round draft picks, one coming off an injury with only four weeks starting experience. And then the other who is a really known quantity. Mm -hmm. What is this a commentary on Elam? Is this a commentary on McDermott's coaching philosophy? What are the takeaways here, JJ, of this CB2 competition? So I think it's a, I, I think it's a commentary on both. I think that it, it can't be one without the other because it is Elam because the problem that they're having is that Elam is not um, presenting them with the reliable option that they had when they had, you know, um, other 
late round CBs that, you know, were athletically underperforming, um, like Levi Wallace, Dan Jackson, et cetera, um, Christian Benford. So underwhelming athletic specimens who are reliable, good ball players with good instincts, who are willing to stick their nose in there on run support. That is really what McDermott values. He would love that to be somebody who is also an elite shutdown quarter. And he has that in Tredavious White. And I think that, like you said, I think that they didn't have the guy they wanted. So they picked the, the next option down on their list in the, in the first round when they got Kyrie Elam. It just seems like that's the case, especially with the way that they're, they postured his place in the depth chart. I don't think that he does the things that they want him to do the way he wants to do them. And they, um, McDermott's philosophy, this is also Frazier's philosophy, is to minimize you know harm to the team. And I think Elam's style is too aggressive. I mean, he got flagged in the in the game against the Colts, the preseason game. He for did kind of nasty, unnecessary pass interference because he didn't need to grab the player at the top of his route. I think he's not confident in his own abilities and coverage, so he tends to get grabby. And I think that that they see that the coaching staff sees that, and they're like, "Well, he is a, the best press corner we have on this team." But he is too aggressive, too physical, and kind of feels like he's he's losing a rep. So he starts to grab and grasp, and they don't want to put that in on the field because a pass interference call can change the entire course of a game. In a tight shootout with the Chiefs, for instance, Kyrie Elam getting a you know a PI and then moving down to the five yard line is almost a go ahead score when you have Travis Kelsey and Patrick Mahomes, right? So um, it's really. I think that's it. I think it's just they don't they don't count on him and the you know the best ability is reliability and availability and you know he's not presenting them with somebody they can trust and that's what they care about. Yeah, him and Diggs got into it um, early on in camp too because for the the that very reason that Elam was getting really handsy and really yeah. grabby with Diggs and Diggs was like, "Nah, dude, you're 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 coming close to hurting me. Like yeah. you need to back the f up." So so. But that that was also his profile coming out of college as well. And I the Buffalo Bills defense has been stable and solid over the last three seasons under McDermott and under Frazier. They are pretty much top three in every metric that you can identify. But the reality is that they lose to good QB play in the postseason every year because the defense is pretty vanilla. And it's pretty simple. And Dane Jackson is pretty vanilla and pretty simple when it comes to his coverage. He is a known quantity opposite Trey White. And if you run someone like Jackson out of there, out there, I mean, in fairness, opposing QBs are going to challenge whoever is on the opposite side of Trey White, yeah. right? So maybe there is a world where the rationale dictates that at least with Jackson, you know, he's not going to take those PIs and he's not going to lose his cool. But we also know that he's going to get exploited more often than not. I right. think his, his the completion rate last year on targets in Dane Jackson's general direction is like sixty nine percent. Like, yeah, it's, it's bad. just. I mean, bad. it's that's bad. That's yeah, bad. It's just bad. When when I've got a seven out of ten chance of completing a pass on you, that's bad. I'm just gonna throw it. So I'm throw it. Right. My chances. Yeah. Right. So I guess to me is. It's between, so if Elam is really a sunk cost at this point and you feel like you've wasted the draft pick, do you want to take the chance that he can maybe do something spectacular to turn a game around for you like he did at the end of last season and in the postseason last year? 
Or do you want to lose the same old way you've always lost? Like, I, I just, I don't get it sometimes, right? I don't get it. You know the outcome if you put Dane Jackson out there. You are relatively certain you know the outcome with Kyrie Elam, but there is still a ceiling that is undiscovered with him that, I, to me, I think is worth the risk. But I'm not on this coaching. I'm not on this coaching staff, so I don't know. I would not want to lose in the same way every single season. To do the same thing over and over again and expect a different result is the definition of insanity. And Dane Jackson is just the insanity that we can't quit. Like, it's got to be Elam to me. It's, can I, it's just got to be. Can I spread some positivity on this situation? By all means. Okay. So here's, here's I'm going to make a case for giving Dane J Jackson the chance or keeping him in. Here is, here is what I'll say. We know that Tredavious White at this point in his return from injury is more like the Trey White that, that they expected to have last year when he came back or that they hoped would return. And that's been all intents and purposes reported from anybody who's on the Buffalo beat in the media that Trey White looks like Trey White. And he didn't any time last year, right? Because he was still kind of getting back, get his feet, getting his feet on him again. But I'll say this. Um, so if you have Trey White back to 100%, and you have Dane Jackson opposite him. Worst case scenario, Elam doesn't come through. They can't trust him. Whatever happens, happens. You have Dane Jackson or Christian Benford, who I actually like a little better than Dane Jackson. He's got a little bit of, of the athletic upside over Dane Jackson. And he has a really good nose for the football. And so I could see if it's not Kyrie Elam, I might not be as disappointed if it's Christian Benford. Um, and, and the way I think this could work is the same thing over and over, same way, getting beat the same way. Um, that was Leslie Frazier's defense. Based on all the observations that people have made, and even some stuff that we saw in the first half against the Colts where the first teamers are out there, um, McDermott is going to be quite a bit more aggressive with his defensive line, his stunts, and his linebackers. And I really hope that that can make the difference because you cannot sit back in passive coverage with Dane Jackson. I agree with that point. You cannot sit back and, and say the defense is the defense like we quip we always use on the show. Um, the defense is the defense. It'll work and it's it's a regular season defense and then it you know wilts against top top uh, opportunity and, and, and competition. That's not going to work, but it will work if you're more aggressive on the front. And I think that's what you can count on with, with Sean McDermott calling the plays. Um, because that's when subpar uh, defenders in the back end come up with interceptions because there's hurried rush throws. There's a lot of business around the line and that gives you an extra opportunity to kind of get in there, make something happen. And I think that that's really what we need to focus on is if they can get more pressure and we think this pass rush is going to be quite a bit better, then coverage is easier for somebody who doesn't have the elite skills like they Yeah, no, I mean, it's a, it's a sound argument. I, and Benford would feel like the happy medium, the happy in between, between Elam, who seems to be a really, like we said about Shakir, boomer bust at this point, versus Jackson, who is, as we have said, vanilla ice cream when it comes to his play style. Right. And you're right. A lot of it is going to depend on what they do up front. If you're going to be more aggressive and you're going to shorten that coverage window where guys need to stick to stick to the opposing wideouts, then yes, I absolutely think that works. 
but Jackson's coverage wasn't holding up last year. And I get the Trey White point. I, I do. I, it's a point well taken. But his, his, his time in coverage was shorter last year than it was the previous two seasons. So opposing players figured out a way or figured out what his tendencies were and were breaking his coverage patterns way earlier in reps than normal. So if you're getting a quick release off of Jackson, I don't know. I don't know that any amount of blitzing or penetration in the backfield is going to help keep you keep your your secondary sound when you've got a guy who's a liability in those situations. I yeah. I don't know, right? It's it's I mean it's not like Jackson is locking down co- like locking down coverage for 3 or 4 seconds at a time. He gets beat relatively relatively quickly at this stage of his career. So again, that's why I'm like it's a roll of the dice but see what you got with Elon, but I I don't know that there are any good answers here. I think people are again taking for granted that with Poyer and Hyde back in the safety role together again, that they'll clean up a lot of mistakes that they have for the secondary in the past. Um, and you and I both noted that with Poyer on the field last year, it wasn't just um, Dane Jackson whose play improved, but it was also Taron Johnson. Because when those guys are out there, they really really are the deodorant on a lot of misreps for that secondary. But Hyde is coming off an injury. Poyer, who is just an absolute warrior, is coming off an injury-riddled season. They're both a year older at this point. Um, Poyer towards the end of the season because the injuries looked like he lost a step. I think we're taking for granted that the roof on this house is in solid condition at this point. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think as a result, there is a temptation into complacency to roll Dane Jackson out there again. I think think there needs to be a different way of thinking. Um, But again, Elam might not be the guy. You got to stop grabbing people. You've got to show consistency on route coverage and whatever you want to say about Jackson, he doesn't do those things, right? He does the opposite of those things. And I could see an argument for him as a result of that. I I just, man, I just can't, I can't lose the same way every year. Oh, yeah. It's exhausting. I just can't can't do it. I just can't do it. Yeah. Um, A couple other areas I want to talk about this defense really quickly is the front, the front four pass rush, which Mm -hmm. we've already talked a little bit about. Ed Oliver getting a contract extension. Yeah. I think which surprised, definitely surprised me. Um, We had said heading into the draft that what they do, particularly in the third round, if they go for um, like a guy like Ika out of Baylor, who who Cleveland ended up drafting in the third round on a uh, compensatory pick. But if they go for a a really traditional one um, one tech, to sit near Oliver, that tells you they're going to sign him. Well, they didn't do that. So I thought Oliver was out the door, but they sign him and then they bring in Puna Ford, which I think is an inspired pick. And you've got Daquan Jones, who's going to be a year older, also holding it down next to Oliver. Is that enough to you on an interior defensive line that at times disappeared last year? Is that going to be enough to solidify and anchor this line? Um. Yes. And I, I think that I am shocked yeah. by your answer. Okay. Yeah. Welcome yeah. to JJ's positivity <laughs> corner. All right. Let's talk about no, it. No, <laughs> this is not, I don't think this is baseless at all. I think that the, um, the reports largely are that Ed Oliver looks like a man on fire coming out here, uh, this year, uh, with preparation. He even said so in his like you know, post signing his contract press conference that he basically wanted to prove everyone wrong, that he was worth 
you know, every dollar and, and he wanted to kind of turn his career into something special. And that's cool. And that's all talk. And I, I think he has the capacity to do that. I think a lot of the interior defensive line was dinged up last year. And there are four players that I'm excited to see play in this interior. That's Ed Oliver, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle, and Puna Ford. Tim Settle's having a and hell of a preseason. That's the other piece of it is I think Tim Settle underperformed pretty substantially. I think they, they might have re- renegotiated his contract. They restructured. They yeah. restructured him. Yeah. So like they restructured him over the offseason. I'm pretty sure it was one of those deals where they said, you're not going to have a roster spot if you don't take this deal. Yeah. And, you know, here's a chance for you to earn earn more money or your money back by performance incentives um, and get less of a cap hit for us. And I think he accepted that deal. And I think it looks like he's motivated to come out. He's got a year of this in the system. He understands what he's doing. And the reason I think that the interior will perform well, and I know we'll talk about the ends, but I think that the, the reason that I have hope for them is because they did enough in terms of signing Leonard Floyd in terms of Greg Rousseau also looking excellent. I mean, it was it was largely reported that the defense wasn't letting the offense even get in good practice reps because they were just shutting everything down immediately. Um, so I have a lot of hope. The defense, as you mentioned, has been you know a top performer in the league year over year with Leslie Frazier. Uh, Sean McDermott, as a defensive coordinator, has put out a top defense, uh, Super Bowl contending defense in years past. Uh, so I think that I'm not worried about the defensive line and I'm not worried about the defensive interior. I hope that Von Miller is back sooner rather than later. I think it's probably going to be week six. Like most people think it's going to be um, after they get back from London. And that's fine. I think that really the most important games for Von Miller to play in are the ones in December and January and forward, hopefully into February. But, um, but yeah, I'm not worried about the defensive line. I'm massively worried about the middle linebacker, but we'll talk. Yeah, let's so let's talk about that then. Um what are they gonna do with middle linebacker? I like I I don't have a big wind up for it. Yeah. Like they dra- they used a third round pick on Dorian Williams yep. from Tulane, who seems to be more the profile of like a Matt Milano backup yep. than a true middle linebacker. They sign um Tyler Rapp. Um Taylor Rapp. in the off Taylor Rapp in the off season, yeah, um, and then there are rumblings in preseason that they're going to roll out a lot of dime, and that Poyer is actually going to play up in the box, or Rapp may play up in the box, and they might just eliminate the middle linebacker. I I don't know what they're doing. They've got Bale Inspector. They've got um, uh, Terrell Bernard, who they could roll out there at middle linebacker. They weren't super impressed with Bernard. Also, another third round pick that they made two drafts ago. I um I just don't understand. I just generally don't understand what the Bills have been doing with third round draft picks lately. Let me put it that way. Now, in, in fairness, Williams is is a missile sideline to sideline, but he really is in the profile athletically of what they ask Matt Milano to do. And it's nice to have some depth behind Milano, who has struggled with some injuries over the past couple of seasons. But that's not the gaping hole that you have in your defense. It's a middle linebacker. Now, you and I both agreed that this was a terrible middle linebacker draft, mm-hmm. generally speaking, and that the Bills should not use an early draft round pick on it. Um, we both felt they should have gone the vet route um, in free agency. At your best guess, who is starting next to Matt Milano in our base nickel defense to start the season? Uh, 
I think it's going to be tough to Terrell Dodson. And I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be a package situation. I honestly believe that, you know, the starter by definition is going to be Terrell Dodson, but I would not be surprised to see like in certain situations, Terrell Bernard or Dorian Williams come in in that spot uh, next to Matt Milano. And I also, I also think that dime packages, that's a real thing. I think that uh, the Taylor Rapp signing was a in, insurance kind of uh, against no against losing Tremaine Evans. They they Tremaine Evans was going early in um, you know free agency, and they knew that was happening. Moving over to Chicago on the on the deal that they signed him to, and so Taylor Rapp is really you know it's somebody you can bring in into those kind of roles, get muddy in the middle, um, because they know having stuck in nickel for almost every snap for the past three years with Taron Johnson, that a scrappy enough, you know, defensive back down there can get it done in the, in the run. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's what they're going to do. I think probably you're going to see, um, middle linebacker snaps on this defense are going to go down substantially. I think game to game, you're going to see an actual middle linebacker on the field in a lower proportion of snaps than we've probably ever seen. Since I mean Tremaine Edmonds came in as a rookie, took that took that spot, was here for five years, you know, and then then that yeah. was that. So, yeah, I, uh, I I think your analysis is is pretty spot on. I there's been a lot of lauding of Bill Belichick for his draft yep. defensively and some of the free agent signings they've made because he he's got a lot of tweeners on the roster. He's got a lot of guys that could be linebackers, could be safeties, could be DBs, but no one really knows, and the the, the thinking behind that is that Belichick is going to run the amoeba defense of all time where you just never know yep. where coverage is coming from and the pass rush is coming from. And I actually think the rap signing was a big indication early on that the Bills needed to get a little bit more multiple on defense as well. Um, it's a team that offensively and defensively had become really simplistic towards the end of last season and pretty easy to figure out. They addressed it, I think, in spades on the offensive end, save for the tackle position. And on the defensive end, I think you put McDermott's innate creativity as a defensive play caller with some of these unique personnel packages that they can run out there. And I think what Rapp and Williams give you are elements that you have not had on this defense in a long time, which is chess pieces that bring speed to the table as well. And this is something I think back way back when, when you and I were arguing for JOK to get drafted, yeah. we were like, this is what this dude could be. Yep. This guy could be a chess piece that you put around the field. One of those tweeners where you really don't know where he's lining up and what, where he's lining up is indicating to you that just has raw sideline to sideline speed. And in that vein, I liked the Williams draft pick, though I thought it was maybe not the best use of a third rounder. But I, I could at least see the rationale behind it, which is we're going to have a couple of guys who are going to line up non-traditionally and you as an offense and as a QB pre and post snap, are going to have to figure out where they're coming from. And I think that's a great look and a nice added multiple wrinkle that this Bills defense is sorely, sorely needed for a very long time. Well, and I think it's also, I mean, it's the, when you mentioned uh, Bill Belichick, it's like Kyle Duggar, right? Like a draft yeah. crush from a couple of years ago. It's how many guys can we get between six feet and six feet two, between 200 and 220 pounds who are fast as crap and yep. can lay a lay lumber from, from long range 
but also not completely falter in coverage. Let's get a bunch of those guys and stick them out there because it's an offensive league. It's a throwing league. It's more important somebody can can hold up in coverage than it is that they can take on a guard one on one in a blocking situation, exactly. right? Like or you know beat the block situation. So um, it's not likely that guards are going to be that effective more than eight feet eight yards down the field. You know? So like it's, yep. it's a, there's the guards who can get twelve plus yards down the field and effectively block in space are few and far between. So let's get a bunch of super fast guys who can work their way around any of that that mess and uh, and get get in for the tackle. So I like it. I think that you're right. They're going to be multiple. I think that, like you said, Sean McDermott's creativity is is what they're going to have to lean on because there is a hole at middle linebacker. Nobody they have is somebody I would consider an above average or even average NFL starting caliber middle linebacker on this roster right, right now. I think we're going to miss Edmonds and oh, yeah. run run stopping for sure. And just the amount of space he took up in coverage. But I think the trade-off for that again is we're going to get a little bit of, we're going to get be able to add a, a little bit of deception to the pre-snap determinations that some of these QBs are making. So we'll see what McDermott does. We'll see. It's all in the execution. We'll see how it pays off. But it has been, it's been interesting nonetheless. And there's going to be more breadcrumbs to follow before, uh, before game one against the the New Jersey yeah. Jets. All right, so let's let let let's land this thing, shall we? Yeah. Let's uh let's talk about a co- reasons why the Bills will and won't contend for a Super Bowl this I season. Like so JJ, in the best of all possible worlds, the Buffalo Bills will contend for a Super Bowl if what happens. They will contend for a Super Bowl if Josh Allen has a six has a, a healthy season and um passes for over five thousand yards i think oh wow yeah that's quite the qualifier yeah yeah i think that's yeah. true though because that i feel the re- the only way he gets there is if he's distributing the ball to so many different targets that he's meeting that condition you mentioned at the beginning of the pod which is when he threw when he hits more than seven you know pass catchers in a game the bills have won i think 100% of those times. So, yeah, I mean, there it's a it's a pretty stacked record when he can play point guard in that way. Um, that's interesting, the 5,000-yard thing. You know, I think the Buffalo Bills contend. I think all of those things are true and they need to happen, but I think they rely on the offensive line being better this yeah. year. Yeah. I think, and, if, and I think the Bills are literally an offensive line away from contending. Um, for a Super Bowl legitimately. What did we see at the end of last season? The two best offensive lines, arguably, in the league, duking it out in the Super Bowl, the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs. And those are teams that have invested draft on the Eagles. It seems like they draft offensive and defensive linemen pretty much every year. And then the Chiefs have gone the free mix of the free agent and draft route and hit on some Really amazing picks like our our coveted Creed Humphrey. Yes. Um, Yes. The one that got away. The one that got away. Oh, Creed, please. What what we could have done together, Creed. What we could have done together. Yeah. Um, please come, please come back. back. Um so I I think the Bills can be can contend in the regular season as is, but I think if they're gonna reach that level, reach the promised land, so to speak, we have seen the type of offensive line play that you need. And I if they win, the Bills offensive line is gonna have to ascend to that. So on the flip side, if the Buffalo if the Buffalo Bills are not contending for a Super Bowl, I have two reasons why they wouldn't. 
one would be the offensive line if it's just the same old, same old that we got last year. But here's my second reason, and it's one that I don't think enough of us are talking about. The age of the defense. So we've talked about some of the young guys, right? Ed Oliver is 25. Puna Ford, I think, is only 27. Um, Rousseau is going into his third season, his third full season this year. Yes. So I think he's 24, I want to say, right? Something like that, yep. Jordan Poyer, who I will worship forever, 32, mm-hmm. coming off an injury-riddled yeah. season. Yep. Micah Hyde, 32, coming off an injury-riddled season. Trey White, I believe, is 29 yeah. at this point. He's 29 almost or 30. 30. Yep. He's almost 30. Um, AJ Klein, who may be your... Tremaine Edmonds replacement is sitting sitting there at 32 years old. Jordan Phillips, 30 years old. Leonard Floyd, 30. Not to mention Von Miller, who I think turns 34 in the middle of the season. It it is a long 17-game season, and the Bills have struggled with injuries on both sides of the ball. The age, relative age of this defense is older compared to other teams in the league. There is a value to that type of veteran leadership, but there is also a risk. We saw the risks last year, and many of these guys are one year older than they were last year. So I think if the Buffalo Bills don't contend this year, it's for two reasons. Offensive line plays exactly like it did last year, and age finally catches up to some of these veteran leaders on this team. Yeah, I think that that's a concern. Um, You know who's not old? Ayer Elam. He's 22. <laughs> Thank you. You know, now you're, yeah, yeah. Dane Jackson's what? He's 27, going to be yeah, 28 yeah. in the middle of the season, right? right. Like, yeah, yeah. Come on. But Thank you for getting on the, Ky- thank you for engaging in ageism and getting yes. on the Kyrie Elam bandwagon. <laughs> well, because, I mean, that's just, the, that's what, you know, that's something I had recently learned that like he's younger than like some of the Bills draft picks from this, this rookie draft. Yeah. And it's just like, what? So, no way. Kyrie Elam, yeah. But yeah, no, I think that uh, I agree with you because I think that the story of a season for any contender can all almost always a, a chapter of that story is about injuries. It's about who are the key contributors that they lost that they were expecting to help them compete for the championship. And, you know, last year for us, that was a story of Micah Hyde. That was a story um, of, you know, the awful thing that happened to Mar Hamlin, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, and so... That was a story of losing, you know, uh, the best Spencer Brown could have because he was battling a back injury. He had surgery on his spine over the summer, right? Like a Von Miller ACL. Von Miller ACL. Uh, Tredavious White coming back from an ACL. Like there's so many little wrinkles there, and that does not get better with an aggregate old team. It only gets worse. No, I can speak from experience of aging ungracefully that. It's only harder to operate on a day-to-day basis as you get older. Your health, no matter the level of training, does not improve as you That's get right. older and take That's those right. hits on the field. So, yep. So yeah, I I don't think we I don't think we're talking enough about it. I think we're taking for granted that McDermott's going to scheme something up, but it's a it is an aging defense, and it's it's the last ride for a lot of these guys, sadly, right? Absolutely. With this team, more than likely. So, so you're hoping it turns out more positive, but I do. yeah, on an exceptionally positive note. Pod number one of We're the back. season in the books, man. We are back, baby. We are right. back. Awesome. All right. So we're going to do this thing weekly for those of you listening at home. 
Um, next week, we're going to preview the division a little bit, the AFC East or AFC Beast, as some people are <laughs> calling it these days. <laughs> um, we'll break down the New Jersey Jets, Miami Dolphins, New England Patriots. We'll also give you a little bit of a recap of the Bills' most recent preseason game, camp rumblings, and some more predictions sure to go wrong for the start of the season. So for those of you listening at home, please listen wherever you get your podcasts, Google, Apple, and Spotify. And as always, go Bills. Go Bills. Thank you.